In a moment, we're going to read from a great paper that I love that sort of tells our early history of what drove humanity forward. What were the key principles that ended up getting us to a more progressive state where we find ourselves today? And also, there's a great piece of music. I don't know if you are uh, on social media, but I, I thought I'd play this. This is just an, an I don't know any of the history in it, but it's it seems to be everywhere, and I, I see it popping up, and I just want to play this for you. And then we'll get to our podcast episode, Paper 68 and the Dawn of Civilization. But check this out. something just beautiful those are seven words uh and they each mean a different uh definition of god and like i said it's been floating around on the internet and i don't know anything about the history but i just i find it spiritually uplifting don't you all right we're on to our subject of the hour inside the revelation podcast In a minute, we're going to discuss Paper 68, The Dawn of Civilization, and we'll go back in time and, and read what the Arantia book has to say about the times before people started writing things down, when we were little more than just savages in the jungle, uh, going back almost to the beginnings of time. You know, a, a few weeks ago, I got a great email from a listener, and they informed me about something that I had no idea about, but apparently is very credible, and it has to do with some personalities, people in Jesus' life, and what happened to them after the resurrection. In the Arantia book, we, we're told a little bit about what happens to the apostles after Pentecost and how the teachings of Christianity spread in the different parts of the world. And But what we don't know too much about, at least for me, is the history of some of the people that were important. So this woman was kind enough to write this story, and I want to share it with you because it has to do with Mary and Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea. And she writes, and I did not know this. I, I thought it'd be fascinating to share. She writes that uh, Joseph had a few ships and traded not only around the Mediterranean, but also came to England for copper from Cornwall and, and lead from Somerset. About it, and she is from this area, so she knows about the old history. It was about a year after the crucifixion, because of the terrible persecution from the Romans and in fear uh, for their lives, Joseph, Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, Lazarus and his wife, and two sisters, Simon Zealots, and two disciples, sailed for Britain. They stopped in the south of France, and Mary Magdalene disembarked. She wanted to spread Jesus' teachings there. There are many churches dedicated to her. From this, from his trading and with people of Somerset, Joseph knew, knew King Agavaris, who had always warmly welcomed him. 
When the group arrived, the king accommodated them and eventually gave each of them large pieces of land, exempting them from paying, for paying a tax. This gift is recorded in the archives of Glastonbury. Joseph built a small wattle church and also traveled around Britain, spreading the word. He was also a shaman and could materialize crystals and heal the sick. That was his legend. Made, uh, much later in the 12th century, a large abbey was built in the center of Glastonbury, but was later destroyed by Henry VIII in the 14th century when he destroyed hundreds of abbeys and monasteries because the monks or abbots would not convert to Protestantism and thus allow him to divorce his first wife. Uh, anyway, isn't that an interesting story about that? And I, I was not, not that I would have a reason to, to follow the life of Joseph of Arimathea or Mary Magdalene, but it is interesting to record, is it not? So it's always, for me at least, fascinating to learn tidbits of information, which is probably why I like the Arantia book so much. So let's delve into paper 68, because a, as I always find when I'm reading the Arantia book, I, I always get these little glimpses of truth. It's like cereal sprinkled with sugar. Just a little bit goes a long way. Uh, and you learn a little bit about who we are and what our characteristics are. And what also I think is important is that we learn what these the revelators, these advanced spirit personalities, how they observe us and how we may one day observe other primitive personalities when we're in a much more advanced stage perhaps. And they write from paper 68, this is the beginning of the narrative of the long, long forward struggle of the human species from a status that was little better than an animal existence. Through the intervening ages and down to the later times when a real, though imperfect, civilization had evolved among the higher races of mankind. Civilization is a racial acquirement. It is not biologically inherent. Hence, must all children be reared in an environment of culture, while each succeeding generation of youth must receive anew its education. The superior qualities of civilization, scientific, philosophic, and religious, are not transmitted from one generation to another by direct inheritance. These cultural achievements are preserved only by the enlightened conservation of social inheritance. So civilization must be constantly be renewed by constantly being taught to our young. They don't, they don't learn this stuff genetically. That's an interesting perspective, isn't it? Social evolution of the cooperative order was initiated by the Dalmatia teachers. That's going back about a half a million years with the planetary prince and, the, and, the, and of course, the 100 teachers. And for 300,000 years, mankind was nurtured in the idea of group activities. The blue man, most of all, profited by these early social teachings. The red man, to some extent, and the black man, least of all. In more recent times, the yellow race and the white race have presented the most advanced social development on Urantia. Number one, protective socialization. When brought together closely, men often learn to like one another, but a primitive man was not naturally overflowing with the spirit of brotherly feelings and the desire for social contact with his fellows. 
Rather did the early races learn by sad experiences that, quote, in union there is strength. And it is this lack of natural brotherly uh, attraction that now stands in the way of immediate realization of the brotherhood of man on Urantia. Association early became the price of survival. The lone man was helpless unless he bore a tribal mark which testified that he belonged to a group which would certainly avenge any assaults made upon him. Even in the days of Cain, it was fatal to go abroad alone without some mark of group association. Civilization has become man's insurance against violent death, while the premiums are paid by submission to society's numerous law demands. Primitive society was thus founded on the reciprocity of necessity and on the enhanced safety of association. And human society has evolved in age-long cycles as a result of this isolation fear and by means of reluctant cooperation. Primitive human beings early learned that groups are vastly greater and stronger than the mere sum of their individual units. One hundred men united and working in unison can move a great stone. A score of well-trained guardians of peace can restrain an angry mob. And so society was born, not of mere association of numbers, but rather as a result of the organization of intelligent cooperators. But cooperation is not a natural trait of man. He learns to cooperate first through fear, and then later because he discovers it is most beneficial in meeting the difficulties of time and guarding against the supposed perils of eternity. The peoples who thus early organized themselves into a primitive society became more successful in their attacks on nature as well as in defense against their fellows. They possessed greater survival possibilities. Hence has civilization steadily progressed on Urantia, notwithstanding its many setbacks. And it is only because of the enhancement of survival value in association that man's many blunders have thus far failed to stop or destroy human civilization. That contemporary cultural society is a rather recent phenomena is well shown by the present-day survival of such primitive social conditions as characterize the Australian natives and the Bushmen and Pygmies of Africa. Uh, just an insert here. If you've ever gone on, you can still find them, but there are old pictures from the 50s and perhaps even earlier when, when we first were able to take movie cameras into faraway villages and remote areas of the Amazon and Africa, and we found these pockets, and they're still there, uh, these people that haven't changed in thousands of years. And it's, it's so interesting to look at, I mean, they almost look, it's like taking a look back in time. It's just an interesting observation, and it helps sort of give idea to what they're talking about here. Uh, it's What they're saying here is that, you know, cultural society is still recent. The fact that we still have bushmen and pygmies shows you that it wasn't that long ago when much of society was very similar. And it goes on to read, 
or write, among these backward peoples may observe something of the early group, hostility, personal suspicion, and other highly antisocial traits which were so characteristic of all primitive races. These miserable remnants of the non-social peoples of ancient times bear eloquent testimony to the fact that the natural individualistic tendency of man cannot successfully compete with the more potent and powerful organizations and associations of social progression. These backward and suspicious antisocial races that speak a different dialect every 40 or 50 miles illustrates what a world might you live in today, but for the combined teachings of the corporeal staff of the planetary prince a half a million years ago, and also the later labors of the Adamic group of racial uplifters. So they're saying that we could very well still be much like some of those primitive tribes that still exist, were it not for the teachings of the planetary prince, and then later the Adamic teachings. The, the modern phrase, quote, back to nature, is a delusion of ignorance, a belief in the reality of a one-time fictitious golden age. The only basis for the legend of the golden age is the historic fact of Dalmatia and Eden. But these improved societies were far from the realization of utopian dreams. So from paper two of this same series, paper 68, section two, we learn a little bit about the factors of social progression. And I, as I read this, take into consideration that they're trying to give us information to help us progress. Always the underlying purpose of the Arantia book is to give us information to improve our quality of thinking and our, our, our spiritual appreciation. So they write, Civilized society is the result of man's early effort to overcome his dislike of isolation. But this does not necessarily signify mutual affection. And the present turbulent state of certain primitive groups well illustrates what the early tribes came up through. But though the individuals of a civilization may collide with each other and struggle against one another, and though civilization itself may appear to be an inconsistent mass of striving and struggling, it does evidence earnest striving, not the deadly monotony of stagnation. While the levels of intelligence has contributed considerably to the rate of cultural progress, society is essentially designed to lessen the risk element in the individual's mode of living, and it has progressed just as fast as it has succeeded in lessening pain and increasing the pleasure element in life. Thus does the whole social body push on slowly toward the goal of destiny, extinction or survival. Society is concerned with self-perpetuation, self-maintenance, and self-gratification. But human self-realization is worthy of becoming the immediate goal of many cultural groups. The herd instinct in natural man is hardly sufficient to account for the development of a social organization as now exists on Urantia. Though this innate gregarious propensity lies at the bottom of human society, much of man's sociability is an acquirement. 
two great influences which contributed to the early association of human beings were food hunger and sex love. These instinctive urges man shares with the animal world. Two other emotions which drove human beings together and held them together were vanity and fear, more particularly ghost fear. History is but the record of man's age-long food struggle. Primitive man only thought when he was hungry. Food savings was his first self-denial, self-discipline. With the growth of society, food hunger ceased to be the only incentive for mutual association. Numerous other sorts of hunger, the realization of various needs, all led to the closer association of mankind. But today, society is top-heavy with the overgrowth of supposed or supposed human needs. Occidental civilization of the 20th century groans wearily under the tremendous overload of luxury and the inordinate multiplication of human desires and longings. Modern society is enduring the strain of one of its most dangerous phases of far-flung interassociation and highly complicated interdependence. You know, pause to consider that this book was written in the 30s and look at we're a hundred years right now and, and nothing could be more truthful than that, right? Occidental civilization groans wearily. What a great phrase. Groans wearily under the tremendous overload of luxury and the inordinate multiplication of human desires and longings. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Think about everywhere you go now, we're all looking into our phones and we've got our headphones on and we've got our cars and we've got our bass music and it's just, it's uh, a lot of luxury, indeed. All right, continuing on. Hunger, vanity, and ghost fear were continuous in their social pressure, but sex gratification was transient and spasmodic. The sex urge alone did not impel primitive men, men or, or women, to assume the heavy burdens of home maintenance. The early home was founded upon the sex restlessness of the male when deprived of frequent gratification and upon that devoted mother love of the human female, which in measure she shares with the females of all of the higher animals. The presence of a helpless babe determined the early differenti uh, differentiation of male and female activities. The woman had to maintain a settled residence where she could cultivate the soil. And from the earliest times where woman was, has always been regard, regarded as the home. Woman thus early became indispensable to the evolving social scheme, not so much because of the fleeting sex passions as in consequence of food requirement. She was an essential partner in self-maintenance. She was a food provider, a beast of burden, and a companion who would stand great abuse without violent resentment. And in addition to all of these desirable traits, she was an ever-present means of sex gratification. Almost everything of lasting value in civilization has its roots in the family. The family was the first successful peace group. 
the man and woman learning how to adjust their antagonisms while at the same time teaching the pursuits of peace to their children. The function of marriage and evolution is the insurance of race survival, not merely the realization of personal happiness, self-maintenance, and self-perpetuation are the real objects of the home. Self-gratification is incidental and non or not essential except as an incentive ensuring sex association. Nature demands survival, but the arts of civilization continue to increase the pleasures of marriage and the satisfactions of family life. If vanity be enlarged to cover pride, ambition, and honor, then we may discern not only how these propensities contribute to the formation of human associations, but also how they hold men together, since such emotions are futile without an audience to parade before. Soon vanity associated with itself other emotions and impulses, which required a social arena wherein they might exhibit and gratify themselves. This group of emotions gave origin to the early beginnings of all art, ceremonial, and the forms of sportive games and contests. Vanity contributed mightily to the birth of society, but at the time of these, uh, of these revelations, the devious strivings of a vainglorious generation threatened to swamp and submerge the whole complicated structure of a highly specialized civilization. Pleasure want has long since superseded hunger want, the legitimate social aims of self-maintenance are rapidly translating themselves into base and threatening forms of self-gratification. Self-maintenance builds society, unbridled self-gratification unfailingly destroys civilization. And thus concludes the first two segments of paper 68. I encourage you to continue on with that paper. Much more to learn, but those are the basics going back in time to the early beginnings of civilization and what were the forces that drove civilization forward. And it's a great narrative, and it's what's inside the revelation. If you've got a section of the book that you'd like for us to share or talk about, feel free to email me at urantiabookradio at gmail.com, urantiabookradio at gmail.com, and we will continue in an upcoming episode. Check back soon, and don't forget to share these podcasts with fellow truth seekers. Happy 100 years. The Arantia book has been with us and we're so thrilled as we start another 100 years of helping to spread the revelation of truth to mankind. Until next time, thanks for stopping by.